can go ahead and find a seat. Good to be with you. Thank you, team, for uh, leading us this morning. And uh, excited to get into God's Word now. Um, as we do, just to kind of follow up from um, what Pastor Jeff uh, shared, love the way that um, our, uh, just can see some of the impact and opportunities through some of the networks that we are a part of. Um, if you were here last spring, um, you'll remember there was a volcano that exploded down on the island of St. Vincent in the Caribbean, and um, we had the opportunity through our High Point Send network, uh, one of our networks, um, to uh, partner with um, that church there, uh, one of our kind of sister churches, and um, and be uh, directly involved and, and be able to support and um, and give toward that work there. And um, love the response that our church had. Um, I think as collectively as a network, we had the goal of, of of $50,000 um, toward uh, meeting that need there and the way that it was being um, kind of administered and kind of worked out there in the island and, and they were being used by the um, government um, uh, officials there and uh, kind of put that out to our church and, and collectively like within um, a week, almost two weeks time, uh, nearly $10,000 came in almost immediately and then a th- uh, some more funds kind of trickled in over over the next several weeks. I think by the end of the year it was about $12,000 that had kind of gone down there and helped uh, in that. I share that um, uh, just by way of uh, kind of update on, on the week ahead of me, um, um, I'm heading down to visit and see uh, some of the work that's happening there. And um, the church uh, in St. Vincent invited me to um, uh, preach and, and speak at the uh, men's retreat that they're having. There's almost 50 men that are coming on this retreat this weekend. It's going to be Friday through uh, Monday. Um, so I'm going to be uh, preaching, I think, like six or seven times when I'm down there. It's going to be a lot. So um, I know, you know, if you hear me asking prayers for my trip to the Caribbean, um, that yes, that's true. But I really do need your prayers because it's going to be a lot of, of, of preaching and just time uh, with that. But I'm going to be preaching in the church um, there on Sunday. But getting to see some of the work that's been done and, and kind of just see some of the state, meet some more of the staff. I know Pastor Al and a few of their leaders, but excited to kind of connect with that. And then excited for other opportunities that will come to bring teams down. So that's part of part of the trip too, is just kind of exploring and seeing you know what are some of those, um, those opportunities. So that's kind of been in the work for a while now, and then on top of it, we have this, um, obviously, the crisis in, in Ukraine uh, with the war that's happening there, and just, um, I'm sure you're, like me, just kind of following all that. We shared a little update last week. Now we have these um, kind of updated prayer cards. All of this is sort of coming together in real time, you know, so this update from Pastor Christian, he's there in Romania, again, just love the partnership with some of these churches, and so to be able, these, again, these churches are in our network, and so I personally know Pastor Christian. Um, this isn't some guy, I know to you, he's a guy on the screen, but like I, I've known him for years, and and uh, the work that's happening over there, and and just the opportunity that they have in front of them to be able to really be um, there and helping. Uh, I've seen pictures of, of some of the churches that are over there, and they're uh, clearing space in their in their lobby and worship center. There's cots and supplies and stuff out just to welcome him in. Some of the homes have already been opened and kind of bringing people in, and so what a what a great opportunity. So just um, you know, on that. Um, you know, again, if you feel led to give, you certainly don't have to give. This isn't, we don't have some goal that we're trying to meet as a church or something like that, but there was just a number that had asked, is there more, are there partners or places? You know, if you want to give, um, what a great way to give through the church and that the gospel would go forth through um, some of the help and relief that's going to come uh, through that. And so we'll continue to update. As we hear updates, we'll um, be putting some more information on our website, kind of passing along those updates as we receive them. Um, but uh, yeah, I think 1.5 million refugees already displaced, uh, many more to come, and um, just a huge, huge need um, affecting our, our world. Just by way of scope, um, this is the greatest displacement of people since World War II in our, in our entire world. So um, I think it's, it's definitely something that we want to continue to pray for and, and, and doing that. And so, yeah, take those cards, pray for them. I've got mine. Um, what many of our network churches are doing is even at noon uh, during the day, if you have the opportunity to just pray at noon and kind of want to set a reminder on your phone or something, um, just to be praying for, uh, for them. So we believe that God uh, hears and works through uh, prayer. Well, let's turn to the book of Acts now. Um, we are continuing in our series that we're calling Unstoppable. We've been watching the uh, forming and building and beginning of the church through Acts. And uh, every, every once in a while, I just like to kind of catch us up and remind us what we've seen, because it is just incredible what God has done uh, so far in the short life of uh, the church. Uh, we began and we saw the church was birthed there at Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given to uh, the church, and this group of 120 exploded into more than 10,000 very quickly. 
Um, we, see, we saw the death of Stephen, uh, one of the first martyrs that's recorded for us. And as a result of the persecution that came after the death of Stephen, the, the, the believers, the followers, or uh, the uh, followers of the way, as they were called, uh, began to be dispersed and kind of going to these different areas and regions. And so we see um, uh, the gospel going and being shared. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, take, be my witnesses, like, take this message, take the gospel to uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so we're seeing that happen. Well, Paul, or as we uh, meet him in, in the scripture here, is saved. Saul uh, is saved um, as he's on his way to persecute. And that, next to like probably the day of Pentecost, is one of the greatest, most pivotal moments in there. We're going to see a lot more of Saul, who's going to be called Paul, uh, here soon. Um, but in that time, we, we've seen Peter now used by God to heal uh, Aeneas, and uh, Tabitha is raised to life. Um, and then, last week, we, we saw the household of Cornelius. And what was so pivotal about that is the, the household of Cornelius responded to the gospel, they were saved and baptized, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles. Now, if we were to just pause for a second, you know, in biblical terms, unless you are a Jewish person, which you might be, there might be some of us that would um, be Jewish here today, um, uh, but I think most of us would fall into the category that the Bible would say Gentile, it's non-Jew. And so we have much to be thankful for at this part of the story. This is where the Gentiles, the, the people outside of the nation of Israel, are invited into the family of God. And so we see the work of the Spirit being given and done in the same way that it has been so far in the church, now being done for these Gentile believers. And so the gospel is continuing to go forth and people are continuing to be saved. Well, where we're coming to this morning is more of that. We're going to see more of the church being established and built up, and where the gospel is going today is to this city that's known as Antioch. Now, to kind of set up where we're going, I think it's helpful to know a little bit about the city of Antioch. Um, uh, there's not going to be a quiz on this at the end of the uh, service or anything like that, but just some helpful things that I think help paint a picture uh, for where we are at in time and uh, in geography. So we're 300 miles north of Jerusalem and 20 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea is where Antioch is found. And the, at the time, in the first century, it was the third largest city in the world. It was behind Rome and Alexandria, and there was a population there of more than 500,000 people. So that's a, it's a pretty decent-sized city. In this large city, there was a melting pot, all these cultures sort of coming together. There was Greek, Roman, Semitic, Arab, Persian, all kind of joining together, and Jews made up about one-seventh of the population of the city at the time. It was known for um, its chariot racing. So when I read that, I kind of think like, okay, that's sort of like NASCAR of the day, right? So there's it's like Daytona or Indianapolis or something like that. Um, but uh, more than even chariot racing, it was known for a place to pursue pleasure. There was this deliberate pursuit of pleasure. Uh, famously, there was the worship of Daphne there. There's a temple outside of town, and day and night, Apollo's famous pursuit of Daphne was reenacted in everything that that entailed uh, with some of the ritual prostitutes and all of that. Throughout the known world, the morals of Daphne was a euphemism for depravity. So this was a city um, filled with uh, sensuality, uh, with immorality, uh, with darkness, um, contrary uh, to um, the things of the Lord, and yet God saw fit to establish in the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this immorality, one of the most vibrant, influential churches of the time. In fact, for the next several centuries, it continued to be one of the most vibrant, influential churches uh, for centuries. And so the church that was established here, we're going to see this morning when the church began there in Antioch. It's an incredible picture of the, the establishment and then building up of a church and then the impact that comes from it. And what I'd like to do is kind of, I want to I sort of arrange, um, arrange our time uh, this morning in, in this way as we walk through this passage together. I don't know that I've ever preached a, kind of an outline like this before. Um, I've looked at passages similarly for myself, but what I want to do is kind of look at um, some points of prayer for us. I'm calling the sermon, if you want to, if you jot that kind of thing down, uh, our prayer for the church. 
So this morning, our, our, our sermon is called Our Prayer for the Church. And what I want to do, we're, I think from this and seeing what God did in Antioch, I think, I think this has for us eight points of prayer for our church here this morning. And so I want us to look at how we can be praying for our church and what God is doing here in Madison and Fitchburg and Dane County, that God would do the same thing here in our city, in our time, that he did here at Antioch. You know, I don't know, you know, I, the um, uh, commentator called Antioch like the Las Vegas of the time. You know, that's kind of the picture that we have. I think at times, you know, we look around, we're discouraged by some of the immorality, the depravity, the sensuality that we see around us. We see the way that that even affects our own hearts. And so I don't think our times or even cities are all that far different. It just maybe looks a little different. And we're in need of a move of God in the midst of darkness, right? In the midst of these days that we are living in. They're not new. This isn't new under the sun, but God did the work there and we're praying that he would do the same thing here. So I have eight points of prayer for us this morning as we look at this passage. Let's go ahead and jump into it. Verse 19 of chapter 11 is where we're at in the book of Acts. I hope you have a copy of scripture. If you don't, there's one in front of you that you can find uh, underneath one of the seats. Um, if you don't own a copy of scripture, you're welcome to take that home. That's our gift to you. You can keep that. Um, uh, we're, we're just glad that you're uh, here and able to uh, use that. Uh, verse 19, chapter 11 of Acts, it says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Here's our first point of prayer that we see uh, lived out in the believers at the time there in Antioch. It's this, Lord, give us boldness at every opportunity. Would this be our prayer here today that we see lived out in their life? Lord, give us boldness at every opportunity. As I said, following the death of Stephen, the persecution ramped up and the church was scattered. And so they're going to all these places. They go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and as we've talked about, Antioch. So 300 miles away from Jerusalem is where the gospel has now gone to. And as it's going out, the people are speaking to those that they encounter, they're telling them about Jesus of Nazareth. This Jesus who was crucified, who was hung on a tree, and who rose again three days later. But notice they're telling it mostly to, or most of the group is telling it to, exclusively Jewish people. But there was a handful of them, some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who were coming, on Antio and coming to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. A little context here, Cyprus, Cyrene uh, had Roman influence. Uh, they would have grown up with sort of Greek cultures. They were Greek-speaking Jews, uh, most likely from there. And when they come to Antioch, they spoke to the Hellenists. If your Bible has a note like mine, those are always super helpful. If you see that little number, like scan your eyes down, it says, or Greeks, that is Greek-speaking non-Jews. And so what they're doing, when they come to Antioch, they, they meet these Hellenists, these Greek-speaking non-Jews, and they start preaching Lord Jesus to them. They're like, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. And they're just, there's not kind of a distinction between anything. They're just like, oh, you need to hear about this too. And they begin to preach and proclaim Christ to them. And here's what I love about this. Is again, they take every opportunity to share the gospel and that is one thing that we've seen time and time and time again throughout the church is that when the church is squeezed from it, drips growth and life and fruit within the church. It is frustrated uh, military, government, officials, leaders trying to squash down the message of Christ because what has happened every time is that it, it continues to go forth. And so they're taking the opportunity of persecution. They're like, well, let's not just stay here and hole up and kind of you know, uh, go underground we're going to tell people as we go. And they're doing it. They're sharing with them. And so first to the Jew, but then this group of people, they are doing it to these Hellenists. Now, here's what I love about this. At no point was there any sort of official word or direction given to the people. 
right? This wasn't like a, an official kind of program or they didn't even have, uh, there was not kind of evangelism training or not that that's a bad thing, but they didn't have like tracts or pamphlets or the four spiritual laws or anything like that, right? They didn't have um, sort of the bridge illustration and all the things you have to go and kind of do it this way. They're just going and they're sharing, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. And they're just sharing as they have opportunity, they had boldness to share it. And I just wonder about this. You know, God had uniquely used these men and these women from Cyprus, from Cyrene, to be able to speak to those, those Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people. God had used, even from their upbringing, the language that they spoke was a tool that God used for the gospel, which just begs the question that I would ask you today, what in your life has God uniquely equipped you with that you can use for the gospel? Maybe for some of you, that's just a part of your story. You know what I've seen time and time again? The part of your story that is the darkest, that maybe brings the most shame, that was very hard and difficult for you, is oftentimes the part of your story that God uses in the lives of other people. Why is that the case? I think there's people that are walking through similar or the same thing as that. And when they hear and, 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 and see the way that God worked in your life, they are encouraged and they are challenged by that. And they get to then respond in a similar way. Uh, Pastor Ron, one of the friends, friends of ours um, down in Naperville, he likes to say, God turned, uh, his, his marriage was a mess. And he says, he took my mess and he turned it into a, marriage, uh, a ministry. This was before he came to know Christ. It was the thing that brought him to the place of knowing Jesus. And now he's pastoring and he's shared the gospel with many, many, many people and God has used him in such ways, but it started with this mess that God transformed and used to get his attention. Is there a part of your story that God could use and is using to be able to share the gospel? Is there a particular skill that you've been given? Is there a particular place of influence or, or um, you know, time of your life that you're able to use that? I always love to challenge Students, middle school, high school students, there are uh, people that are in your classes and in your uh, hallways uh, that maybe have never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is a unique time that you have, that you can share, that you have the opportunity to be able to point to them. There's no age limit on this thing. This is, this is like everyone is all in. And I wonder, how has God equipped us to use that? God used these men, women from Cyprus, Cyrene, to minister to the Hellenists specifically. And I think what I love about it is they didn't even know they were doing anything that groundbreaking or radical. They're just like, let me tell you what God did for me. The more that you are so enamored and blown away by God's work in your life, the more that you're going to want to share it. They were just sharing the impact of Christ on them, but they were doing so with boldness. So here's what I think our prayer needs to be. Lord, give us boldness at every opportunity. So many times I think we, we pray for opportunities We've talked about this before, right? God, would you give me an opportunity to share? When I think sometimes it's not the opportunities that we need because if we really look at it, it's like, oh, I have lots of opportunities. The thing that I'm missing is not the skills to be able to do it or anything like that. I lack the boldness. I lack the confidence. God, would you give me the words to speak? You know, Paul himself prayed that prayer. He said, would you pray for us also that we would have boldness in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ? And so would we pray this, Lord, give us boldness at every opportunity that we would take the opportunities that we have as they come in front of us. I'm telling you this, if you begin praying this prayer, you start praying for boldness, you're going to start seeing more and more opportunities in front of you. And then you're going to feel this kind of conviction that you're like, oh man, I need to take that opportunity. And that's a really good conviction. That's a really good thing to have because you know when you recognize when and where God is working but beginning to pray that is what's going to open your eyes to even see the opportunities that he is giving boldness. Trust him in that. That's what they did. They were preaching with boldness at every opportunity they had, but that's not where it stops. Look at verse 21. It says this, that the, the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So it was working. They were seeing people come and believe and turn to the Lord. They were being saved. And so here's the reason, here's the, the, the why, is because the hand of the Lord was with them, which is our second prayer point. It's right here. Lord, would your hand be with us? Would your hand be with us? 
And here's the reality of the situation is that God was establishing and building up his church. The hand of the Lord was with them in Antioch. And so therefore, he was drawing people to himself. He was working through them. He was working in that place. The hand of the Lord was with them. And what a good prayer, right? What a good prayer. So many times, I think we try and go it on our own. We try and do it in our own strength. Would this be just a reminder that we need to pause, we need to... We need to ask, God, would you be with us? Would your hand be the one that's doing the lifting, doing the working? We need you. And this is a prayer that I think we uh, certainly need to pray for our church, but can I just encourage you? I think some of you need to pray this in your home, in your family, in the relationships. At times, things feel like they are spiraling out of control, that they're sort of out of your grasp, your reach. What a good prayer. Lord, would your hand be with us? Would you be establishing your work here? Would you be in control right now? So many times the darkness that we can feel in our soul, the, the uh, lack of direction, the lack of strength that we feel, would we be reminded that we have the Lord with us? If the Lord is building it, it cannot fail If God is building up his church, it will not fail. In fact, he says, it was a promise. He says, I will build my church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so our prayer should be this, is that would the hand of the Lord be with us? And part of the hand of the Lord being with us means that he's the one who's guiding, he's the one who's directing, he's the one who's pointing, right? We're not just saying, God, would you just bless our thing? That would be kind of... um, little bit wrong. It's like, hey, I want to do this thing. Can you get, God, can you just kind of put some wind in this thing? Sometimes that's what we do. But, but I think that if the hand of the Lord is with it, he's also the one who's leading it, right? He's the ultimate. He's the senior pastor of this church. He's the one who's, who's leading us in the place. He's the head of your household and your family. He's the one who's leading. And so, Lord, would your hand be guiding and building this thing up? I hope that's an encouragement to you. I think sometimes we forget that that's a prayer that we can pray. God, help me. Would your hand be with us right now? Well, the hand of the Lord was upon them, and he was bringing people to salvation. Verse 22, it continues. It says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and many, a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's what I love, is the church hears about this, right? Hey, there's another outbreak, <laughs> another group of believers, the good kind, right? We need to go out and check this thing out. And so they send uh, Barnabas to visit and to, and to check it out. Now, we've met Barnabas before, a kind of pop quiz. Do you remember where? You don't have to say it out loud, but if you remember where, we've seen him a couple other times already in Acts. The first place that we see it is, uh, I think Pastor Jeff actually preached on this passage, but it's where the, the people were selling their goods, their land, their possessions, and they were bringing the money and they were giving it to the church so that it could be a blessing and kind of used for ministry among the church. Barnabas was one of those guys. It says that Barnabas sold um, his possession, brought the money, gave it to the church. So you see this heart of generosity in Barnabas. That's where we first meet him. And so clearly he was a a leader or sort of trusted within the church, um, had this heart of generosity. And notice, not a lot of people, I think Barnabas might be the only one in the whole book of Acts that was referred to as a good man. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Perfect candidate. Hey, Barnabas, why don't you run up there and check out what is going on there? Make sure that, it's, uh, that they understand, that they know, like see if it's real. Like, is God really working? Is he doing it there? And he shows up, and look what it says. It says, when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. Here is the prayer that I think we need to pray. Number three, Lord, give us eyes to see your grace at work. Give us eyes to see your grace at work. Barnabas, upon coming, saw evidence of the grace of God at work. And if I know my heart, I know that I would have, there's a lot that you could have been uh, discouraged over, uh, disappointed by, uh, maybe overwhelmed with the work that was led to do. Um, uh, 
At times, I tend to have a more critical uh, spirit toward all the things that um, are not right. But that's not what we see from Barnabas. I mean, he could have arrived and been like seen all these baby Christians so far, so disconnected from what was the epicenter of the, the church, right? They're, they're all the way up here. How are we going to make sure that they kind of are heading the same direction we are? Like, how are we going to do this together? And who's going to teach them? And, and what are you doing over there? And all this stuff. But it doesn't say that. It says that he came. He saw that God was at work. He saw the grace of God. And he was glad because God was working. And I'll be honest, it is hard sometimes, sometimes it's easy to point out and be more discouraged by the things that we want to see improved or changed or different than we are. We speak more often about those than the things that we see the grace of God at work in. Would it not be so? You know, I was kind of challenged in this area uh, a few weeks ago. Um, it's been, you know, no, no secret. We've all been feeling it in different ways. But over the last couple of years, you know, on Sundays, um, used to be such a fa- my favorite time of the week. Love getting together as a church. Love gathering all together in this place. And that has been so, um, you know, different, right? For the last couple of weeks or a couple of years, it's been, um, you know, uh, times we couldn't or we were you kind of looked a little different or we're, you know, masks, all that and kind of everything. And and so sometimes I actually walk away from Sundays and I'm just kind of sharing my heart, being honest. I'm I'm like sometimes really discouraged on Sundays. And because uh, I think part of it is, is not because I'm like discouraged with what's happening now. It's like I remember what was. And the way that we would come in and gather and greet and hug and just interact. And it just, it felt different, right? It's just, it's kind of felt not the same. And I wanted what was to be again. And so, so many times I would walk away sort of discouraged and kind of wishing like, oh man, I wish, I wish it was kind of back to where it was. And it was like that again. And a couple weeks ago, we were just kind of sharing, kind of catching up as a small group and just how are you doing, what's, what's going on. And a and, um, couple, couple just so it was such an encouragement and also a challenge to me. Um, they shared that, that, you know what, Sunday is my favorite time of the week. I said, why? And they said, well, the rest of the week is just not like this. Like there's so much disunity, there's so much dysfunction, there's so much infighting, there's so much kind of frustration or tension or, or you know, posturing and all these things. When I come in on Sundays, I'm with my family. I'm with the family of believers. I get to worship the Lord. I, I'm, I'm encouraged and built up. And, just, and like, man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my goodness. Like sometimes I forget just how special this is. I spend a lot of time here. I think I'm here every single day of the week just about. I try to not come on Mondays. So that's, that's like one day. But every other day, I'm here. I spend a ton of time here. And so I'm here. I'm in this place. I'm talking to all of you, like, a lot, all the time. And so I'm kind of around this all the time. I forget how unique it is. I needed to be reminded of that. And I hope and trust that that's the same way for you. When you come here on Sundays, that you are filled up, that you're encouraged, that you, are, that you feel the love of Christ at work, that you feel the unity that we share in Jesus Lord, would you give us eyes to see your grace at work? This is a biblical concept. You know, Paul, when he was writing to uh, the church in Corinth, Corinth was like a messed up church. If you want to feel good about kind of your church, look at the church of Corinth and uh, read all the things that was going on there. Like sometimes it's just a, I don't know if it's healthy, but I like to do that. I'm like, well, I'm not as bad as that. So I, you know, got to be doing okay. And so, um, <laughs> so we're looking at this. And so he's getting ready to write this whole letter and, and, and kind of call them out on some things. But he talks about in the very beginning, he, these evidences of grace that he sees in them. He says, he gives thanks to my God always for you, for the grace of God that was given in Christ Jesus. He points to these evidence of grace. And I've shared this before, but one of the um, just incredible things that transformed my wife and I's relationship, particularly on Sundays with the church, was uh, instead of speaking about the things that are critical or things that we want to have changed, to start having this conversation of, hey, where did you see evidence of grace today? It's not just a church conversation. We started doing that with our family. Like Instead of like, oh man, what did they do wrong? Or what's, what needs to happen there? Because parents, have you been there? You're like, you can make a list of all the things that, you know, you wish you could change today. If there was like that easy button and you could kind of press it and there was all these things that kind of changed up and, and, and fixed. But where do you see the evidence of God's grace at work? In your home, at your workplace, in the relationships that you have here in this church. Sure, there's a ton that maybe, oh, I wish this was different. I wish this was different. But where do you see the evidence of God? I think this is a great prayer. God, 
Would you give us eyes to see your grace at work? Because I promise you, it is at work. I'm so encouraged by all the ways that I see God working. There is life change happening. People are coming to the Lord. People are making decisions for Christ. People are growing in their maturity. They're growing in their understanding and knowledge of Scripture. They're living that out in spheres of their life. God is continuing to give us opportunity for impact and influence here in the city and afar. I mean, God is working. There is so much evidence of his grace. And so when Barnabas comes, he doesn't see all the problems or all the things that need to be addressed. What he sees is the grace of God, and he was glad. Lord, give us eyes to see your grace at work. Here's another prayer right from that, though. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. Notice the charge that Barnabas gives to the people. He says he was glad and he exhorted them all to what? To remain faithful to the Lord. Would this be our prayer? Lord, would you help us to remain faithful to you? Part of the reason for this exhortation was just remember the environment, the city that they were living in so much to distract or to discourage or to take off track. There's so much that's vying for our attention and for our affection, and for our attention. There's so much that, that, that we can give ourselves to, and what the reminder from Scripture here is that Lord would be helpful, help, help us to be faithful to him, which just begs the question, can I just ask you this? Is there any area in your life where you know that you are tempted away from the faithfulness to the Lord? Is there any place that you see and you can identify right now. Maybe it's a heart condition. Maybe there's a root of, of bitterness or, or pride. Maybe there's selfishness in you right now that you can see being lived out. You know that it's there. You give yourself to that at times. Others of you, maybe there is lust, it's pornography, whatever it might be. There's, there's addiction. Some of us are giving us to ourselves to substances or other things. Maybe you've made something into an idol and you are, you are giving yourself to that. Listen, would we be reminded, would we be encouraged that God has laid out a path for us. He's called us to a, a place of holiness and faithfulness to him and to his decrees. There's things that he's given us in his word that he says we are not to do. There's other things he said we are to do. And what Barnabas is exhorting the church, he's saying, would you remain faithful to the Lord? You've been faithful thus far, continue on that path. And listen, we need this prayer. We are constantly being pulled in different directions. And so, Lord, would you help us to be faithful to you? It is not on you alone. God will give you the strength. He will give you the help you need. His promise is this, is that you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear, right? With the temptation, there's also a way of escape. He is faithful the Lord is able to help us, and so would we pray for that? But along the same lines, would we also continue in steadfast purpose? Notice he says, uh, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Man, there, if there's one thing that will discourage us quicker than anything else, it is the lack of direction or purpose in front of us. Am I right? If you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're doing, it's really hard to kind of stay after it. And we find purpose in all sorts of things. We throw ourselves into our fitness. We throw ourselves into our uh, career. Uh, we throw ourselves into our hobbies or our uh, families or our home, our DIY projects, whatever it might be. There are so many things that we, uh, that we set our course for and work after. But I think, I think what God calls us to is that our utmost, our, our most direct purpose for our time, it's so limited here, but our time here would be that we would be filled with steadfast purpose for the Lord. Oh man, I pray that we would more and more blur the lines between sort of church life and the rest of life. This isn't just something that we kind of do on a Sunday thing. This is where we gather together, but we are Christians. We are followers of Jesus. We are living this out in every area and facet of our life. 
And so this isn't just kind of one component or compartment of our life. More and more, would God be transforming every area, every part of our life that would be centered on his purposes? Now, let me just be clear. What that doesn't mean is that you can't do that in whatever job that you have right now. Like, we do not all have to go quit our jobs and join and kind of start working for a ministry or a church or something like that. Please don't do that. That would be a disaster. Like, like we need, our city, our society, our culture, we need the work that you're doing. I mean, everybody's contributing to something in some way. And what we see time and time again, I mean, work was a concept that was given to us before the fall. God says, be fruitful, multiply, tend to the earth, right? We were to uh, subdue it and to make it. And so that pizza that you're delivering, that uh, button that you are pushing, that thing that you are pounding or lifting or, or carrying, uh, that knowledge, the numbers that you're crunching or, or the kids that you're teaching or the uh, medical advice that you're giving or whatever that sphere of influence is, could we do all of that to the glory of God? One of the ways that you can have steadfast purpose in your life is to see the way that you are contributing to the world for the glory of God. I think God's called us to be the best at whatever it is that we put our hands to that we can be using everything that he's equipped and given us for. And so go with Christ into those places. Use your gifts and skills, but it's not like you have to. It only counts toward like ministry here. They were going and establishing and setting up homes and lives and everything else. And so what Barnabas was reminding them is, is continue, remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What is that purpose? Well, we are called to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to grow in our knowledge and understanding of him and we want to point others to him. That is the greatest purpose that we can fill. And I'm just telling you, that purpose transcends any sort of season of time, any life stage, anything like that. Could we have renewed purpose in our life? Those of you that are later in years and kind of approaching or maybe in retirement, I think it can be so easy to be uh, kind of consumed with that. Like, how, how am I ready yet? Or what's that going to look like? Or how am I spending my time? Or what am I doing? Can you use those end of years to be directed by God? How can I bring God the most glory in this season of my life. On the other side of the spectrum, those of you that are in your youth, I don't often pick on video games, but I just felt like I wanted to pick on video games today. Like, like I have nothing against video games. I love video games. Here's the thing. When I was growing up, they were a whole lot lamer than they are now, all right? Um, it was a lot less exciting, a lot less buttons, a lot simpler sort of thing, and a lot less time. Like, you could beat it in, like, you know, solid hour or something. Like, if you really put your mind to it, you could kind of get through it. Man, there are worlds and things that you can kind of get lost in. And I'm telling you, as much as you want to get to level 40 and you want to beat the dragon, it just really doesn't matter in all the scope of things. And so I think we just have to be careful how we get lost in this because it is an immersive world. It can get kind of sucked into these things. You can kind of apply this to anything else. So I'm not like down on video games. You can play video games, all of that. But I'm just saying, if that's your purpose... Like, oh, I can't wait till I get that, get home, get on that, you know, start playing that. There's so much more. There's so much more. I don't know what to think about some of these, uh, the, the metaverse and some of these things that are kind of coming out in these immersive worlds and some of that. I'm like, that's just all going to crash. Like, that's, we are embodied beings. This is all going to, it's not, it's, 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 it's going to continue. People are trying to kind of figure this thing out, but would we have steadfast purpose in the Lord? Would he set our direction? Would he set our course? This is what he's encouraging them. And then notice what happens. For he was a man full of, good, uh, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And, and the result of this, the result of the people pursuing after, following the things of the Lord is this. A great many people were added to the Lord. Would this be our prayer number six? Lord, add to our number those being saved. Lord, add to our number those being saved. You know, we, um, together as a church, just kind of speaking locally at our, our church, our, our kind of local congregation here at City on a Hill, um, we've seen God add to our number over the days. We began with a handful of people, and um, uh, we didn't have any space to meet or anything like that. We were kind of jumping from living room to uh, kind of different churches that were letting us do things, to the, the um, high school, to the uh, now here, to this, this space here. And God has added to our number. 
And the way that he's done that has been a couple different ways. I mean, we've seen people um, uh, that have moved to town and looking for a church and got connected to the work that he was doing here and made this their church home. Others were not going to a church and were just kind of like, they knew Christ but didn't really have a church family and, and just God started kind of moving and drawing. I love that story. Like, I haven't been in church in like 20 years and, and God, you know, brought me here in this place and, and that's, love that. Others of you, maybe you were at another church and that season sort of ended and God kind of moved you on or, or you know, you felt called to something kind of new. That happens too. We recognize that. But here's the thing. Can I just be super clear about our primary way? What we love to see the church grow by, the numbers added, would be those who are being saved. My favorite stories about the way that people found and got connected to the church is I came and I heard about Jesus and I started following him. I gave my life to him. This should be our prayer. Lord, add to our number those who are being saved. Notice this is how the church was growing. And it says it here three times. It says, The hand of the Lord is with them, and a great number who believe turned to the Lord. Again in verse 24, it says, A great many people were added to the Lord. And then it says again in 26, He taught a great many people. See, the numbers were so cool because it was new life. It was life that were saved for eternity. And that is our desire. That is our, our prayer, is that we would see people come to embrace Jesus Christ, that they would grow in their faith and that they would get connected with what God is doing right here. And let me just encourage you, God is adding to our number. We're continuing to see growth. We're continuing to see people. Sometimes people ask, like, are we growing? Are we? And I'm like, I think so. I think we are. Here's one of the things that makes it a little tricky to sort of evaluate. Um, in all of this, kind of people's consistency has sort of changed. So I've noticed a trend. I'm not calling anyone out, you know, specifically at this moment. Although if you feel called out, we can talk later. Um, uh, you know, people that used to attend maybe three, four times a week are now kind of coming more like once or twice, uh, or sorry, three, four times a month are now coming maybe once or twice a month and in, in, in here on Sundays for worship. Other people that were maybe once a month and kind of in that are now once every six or eight weeks or something. Like, like there's just kind of this consistency thing, and I get some of the contributing factors to it, okay? So I know that that's not in a vacuum. Like, there's been sickness, or if you, before, if you had sniffles, you just kind of power through it. Now it's like, oh man, you can't, can't do that. We don't want to, don't want to do that. So, so there is some of that. I get all that. But I would just tell you, I want to encourage you that God is adding to our number. Be here for it. Like when we look around, I hope when you see, when I see these empty seats in this room, I see an opportunity for a soul to be saved. That there is somebody that needs to be sitting in there that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That's my hope. That's my desire. More than anything, that we would grow by those who are coming to know Jesus Christ. And if that's 10 this year, 10 next year, if that's 50 this year, 50, like, I don't care how quickly it is or what it is. I mean, I just want to see more. I want to see more come to know Jesus. I hope you do too. Would that be our prayer, Lord? Add to our number those who are being saved. Well, God was doing that. There's a great many people. And so Barnabas begins to get a little overwhelmed. Look at verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. He's like, I need some help. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Here's our uh, next prayer point. It's this, Lord, give us partners for the work of ministry. Give us partners to do this thing with. Barnabas knew he couldn't do it on his own, so we went and found Saul. Now, I know the timeline gets a little lost sometimes as we kind of move through Acts, but um, at this point, I think there's kind of an estimate of about maybe 10 to 12 years since the church has started at this point in, in the book of Acts. So, so Saul, if you remember, he came to know Christ, but he had been involved in all this persecution. He was a leader within the Jewish uh, context and culture. So it was actually Barnabas who brought him to the apostles. They were a little nervous to meet this Saul guy. They brought him to the apostles, and, and they introduced him, and, and they met with him, and they're like, oh, this is legit. Like, you are, you've been met, like, you've met with the Lord. And so they, they brought him uh, to this place, and they said, for your safety, we want to send you off to Tarsus. And so I think sometimes we don't think about this period or time in, in, in Saul's life, but the estimates are probably eight to 10 years that he was there in, in Tarsus. And it wasn't just kind of vacation, like kickback, relaxing. 
um, some of the accounts, like if you've read some of the letters of, of Paul, he talks about some things that we don't have record of. So the assumption is, is that happened in this in-between time from coming to know Christ and then being called by Barnabas to join him at Antioch. Um, there was some persecution and some abandonment from, from friends and family and some, um, you know, some discouragement and all of that. But through it all, Saul was being shaped and discipled and matured for the work of ministry. And so here at this point, Barnabas is like, you know who I need? I need that Saul guy. I'm going to go get him. He found him, brought him back to Antioch, and for a year, the two of them worked together to teach the people, to disciple them, and tell them about Jesus, and to unpack the scriptures for them, and to live out in community this, 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 this following of Jesus. Such a great picture of the partnership found in ministry. And here's the thing, church, we cannot do this alone. Together as a church, we need other partners. That's why I love, what, how timely is it, you know, that we have these partners uh, there in Romania, down in St. Vincent, that we can kind of partner with, and our scope and kind of the impact that we can have is multiplied because of the, the, the partners and, and, and people that we can work with. But when you think partners, don't just think abroad. Like, there are many other churches that we are partnering with and kind of laboring alongside here in the city. Uh, Pastor Jeff and I got an opportunity to just pray with a couple of, um, a handful of pastors, about a dozen, um, over at Red Village Church this week, and just so encouraged by that. You know, that doesn't happen in every city. Here in Madison, there is actually quite a good relationship among the different churches and pastors. Chances are, if you were at another church, you know another church, I probably know your pastor that you're coming from. Or if you go somewhere else, that pastor's probably, like, we call each other all the time or talk to each other, like, hey, you know so-and-so? Yeah, they're, yeah, like, I mean, we, like, why? Because we're heading in the same direction. Now, I've said before, not every building around town that says church is actually a church, right? They got to preach the gospel and <laughs> hold fast to the scriptures, right? But there are churches that are preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, and we are together with them. I've used the example before, but man, it's one of the things I think that leads to that partnership here in ministry within the city is just the great need. Uh, uh, it doesn't make sense for two flies to fight over an elephant. Right? There is plenty to go around. And so as churches, we are together on this thing. We are trying to reach and impact our city, our county for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And would God give us partners? We cannot do it alone. Man, I was reminded of this last night. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I usually come over on Saturday nights to um, kind of just prep and get ready and spend some time praying, kind of going over the passage and, and reviewing. And so most Saturday nights, you can kind of find me, um, find me here uh, at the church. And uh, I was getting ready to head out last night, and I got this little alert that there was water in our basement. We have this little sensor that we put up because we've had water in the past. We've done so much to remedy it. I thought we had it all kind of fixed, but that was sort of our fail-safe. So I got this little alert, and I'm like, oh, we're probably fine. It's not going to be that big of a deal. We got it all kind of fixed. And so I get over here, and... Um, I'll just tell you, last night, about 8, 8.30, when all that rain was coming, what happened with that, by the way? That was crazy stuff. I'm glad you all made it, and we're all here together. But there's this set of stairs back here, and there was this nice little water feature. Kind of the water was just flowing down into the basement last night. Now, again, God was super gracious because all of it stayed kind of in our storage area back here. None of it made it to the kids or the kitchen or anything like that, Okay. Um, and at first when I saw it, I'm like, oh, I can handle this. Like, it won't take that long. I'm here anyways. Like, why would I, you know, bother somebody with that? And so I just got the vacuum and started kind of going. Well, three hours later, I was like, why did I not call somebody uh, to do that? Because it literally, it took three hours. There was all sorts of stuff that, I, I'll save you all the details. If you really want to know, I'll tell you. But there was a pump out there that, like, some um, somebody had thrown some trash in and it jammed our, our um, float. And so the pump wasn't pumping out the water and it wasn't kind of keeping it, keeping it, um, uh, keeping it free. And so it, it, and it came in through a new way. It had never come in through the stairs before. It was literally flowing through the stairs. It was quite fascinating. Um, uh, this old building, thank the Lord for this. Um, but, uh, you know, just kind of this moment. And I had this realization at the end of it. I was like, why, why, why? Why would I ever want to do this alone? And let me just be clear. I have no desire to come to the church on Saturday night and sit here cleaning up water at night. The only reason I share that story is because if you want to be on the team of people that gets a text at like 10 o'clock on a Saturday night from me, can you just text me? You can text me right now if you want. I will put you on a short list and I will gladly reach out to other people to do what I can't do alone. 
okay? I have no desire to keep doing that. In fact, if you want to do it by yourself and I don't even hear about it, that's even better, okay? So if you ever think, man, why does Dave do that stuff by himself? I have no desire to do that stuff by myself. I just didn't know who to call. I was like, and I just got into it and kind of going. But it was such a reminder. I was looking back at the passage this morning. I was like, man, we need partners for ministry. We're not meant to do this alone. We need to do this together. And so I just tell you, you know, would you pray for that? At your workplace, would you pray for a partner to join you? Here in this city, would we pray for more partners to raise up? Would, he, would God lift up and raise up more partners that we could see more accomplished? Because we are not called, we are not able to do it all on our own. And all of this, would we pray this? Number eight, Lord, make us ready to help in times of need. Make us ready to help in times of need. Verse 27, now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named um, Abigail stood up, foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders in the hand of Barnabas and Saul. There was this need for food with the famine, and they were there and ready to help in their time of need. God, would you do the same for us? Lord, would you make us ready to help in times of need? Needs are gonna continue to arise. Things are gonna continue to come. Again, if you feel led to give toward what's happening over there in Romania, like, that's amazing. We're just trying to put the opportunity there. I'm not saying that everyone has to or that this is your time, but, but, but would God continue to do that as these situations arise? Last spring, we had that opportunity to distribute those food and man, people showed up and gave of their time and their energy to do that. This past uh, Christmas, we did the Christmas toy shop. I mean, we had more presents than we were able to even give out. We got some already ready for next year. I mean, you guys gave so generously to that. I love that. I mean, would we continue with that? Where it's like, we can just say, hey, here's a need. Boom, let's do it. Let's get it done. Lord, make us ready to help in times of need that we would see and understand where he's leading us so that we would be able to help. God, make us generous. Make us giving. Make us willing, make us sacrificial. All of this, God, would you do that? Would you make us ready to help in times of need? And this is why, this is why, look back, verse 26, this is why those disciples were first called Christians. They're in that city of darkness. The city is what gave them that name. It was a little bit derogatory, but they adopted it. It means followers of Christ or people of the household of Christ. And they're like, yes, we are. We are following Christ those Christians, they were seen as different, as doing something that was unique, not being done anywhere else. This unique blend of Jews and Gentiles there worshiping the Lord together and living this out in community with one another and giving of themselves to the needs. I mean, they saw and they recognized and they saw that they were Christians. Would we do the same? Would God do that there? Lord, we ask, let's pray now. God, we thank you for your good news of salvation, of strength, of help. God, of the work that you've done through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we praise you for who you are. Lord, would you do this work? Would you establish this work here in this church? Lord, not just here, but abroad, afar. God, throughout our our county, God, throughout our state, would you use us? We pray that you would receive glory. We want to have impact. Or like this group of believers there in this dark city of Antioch, God, you use them in such dynamic ways. And so, Lord, we don't know what's in our future, but we do know this, that where you are building your church, nothing can come against. And so, God, we pray, would you do it? Lord, be with us. Establish your church here. Build us up. Give us direction. God, fill us with your spirit. We pray, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.